Welcome to Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. This is where we answer your Bible questions. Temptation is not sin. It's when we yield ourselves to that thing. That's when it becomes sin. I believe what this is, and I'm going to trust you. So what prophecies were they studying that helped them know when the Messiah would come? That's a good question. And I think we've got a pretty good answer for you here. Welcome to Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. It's really good to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. We're going to have a good time as we open the Bible together and answer questions that have been submitted by It Is Written viewers. I'm John Bradshaw. With me is Wes Peppers. Hey, Wes. Hey, Pastor John. How are you? We are okay and good. excited. Man, Very I like, excited. I like answering Bible questions. Fantastic. As much as, as God might use this to shine light in somebody's pathway, somebody's looking for an answer, could make a big deal, a big difference in somebody's life. Absolutely could, every time. You know, we met a lady that watched uh, Line Upon Line, and she said, I made a decision to follow Jesus because I heard an answer on this program. So that was very exciting. Isn't that fantastic? Awesome stuff. I think you're like Eleanor's question, our first question. She asks, if there's no purgatory and we're asleep until the resurrection, what happens between burial or cremation and the resurrection? Yeah. Uh, nothing. Well, there's lots happening on the earth, but you're not knowing about it. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5 says, The dead know not anything. And we can, uh, the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And so Jesus says in John 11 that we're asleep until the last day, until the final resurrection. That's what he says. If there's no purgatory, are you sure there's no purgatory? I'm What's certain. purgatory? Purgatory, purgatory, you know, look, if you boil it down, comes from the word purge. And the belief was in Roman Catholicism that if you weren't good enough to go to heaven, holy enough or pure enough or whatever it might be, you can go to this holding place called purgatory where you'll be, um, you'll be, uh, what's that? Where you'll be punished with fire by fire uh, for a given period of time, and that will cleanse you, purge you of your sins. Of course, it's a devilish idea. There's nothing true about that at all. This would mean that somehow you can uh, save yourself or earn your salvation or pay for your misdeeds. Well, I was bad, but if I suffer then I can pay for that. No, that's it's salvation by works. It's a horrendous teaching. They used it to raise all kinds of money during the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages. It's, um, it's just not true. So there is no purgatory, and we are indeed sleeping until the resurrection. That's exactly what happens. Our friend Lazarus sleeps. Jesus said, I go that I may awake him out of sleep. And Lazarus certainly was sleeping like a sleeping thing. Mm-hmm. What happens in that time? As you said, yeah. the dead do not praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. I've been to so many funerals. Oh, we can be happy because Auntie Elsie is praising the Lord in heaven right now. No, she's not. She will. She will. She didn't know anything about the sleep that, that she's enduring. The gap between death and the resurrection passes like that in the experience of the person because their lights go out. They are aware of nothing. They close their eyes in death and the next thing they know, they're in the presence of Jesus at the resurrection should they be saved. So it's a very, very, very good thing. And some people say, oh, I don't want to think about Granny being in the grave, decomposing. Well, not thinking about it doesn't change the reality of it. And the truth of the matter is for Granny, who knows nothing about it, it's a wonderful experience. She died at a ripe old age. No more sickness, no more suffering for Granny. And the next thing she knows, she's in the presence of Jesus. You'd be more worried about it than Granny would be. Absolutely. Because right? Granny's not thinking anything. You're the one still alive. She's thinking nothing at all. Gavin asks us, why does it appear that many artists depict Jesus as white? 
Gavin, I would say this. Fewer and fewer artists do. Wes, what color was Jesus? Well, we don't know exactly, but he was a brown color. He wasn't white. Brownish. Yeah. Yeah. I Brown-ish. like what you said. We don't know exactly. Mm-hmm. Was he black? Could have been. Probably not. Could have had a... Well, yeah, he wasn't. But he could have had a darker tone. He could have yeah. had a lighter tone. I'm saying, tone. was he black-black? No, he wasn't. Was he white like me and you? No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. He was somewhere... <laughs> he, he was, was somewhere, somewhere in between. Between us and a black guy. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Somewhere right. on that continuum. That's exactly right. where... Look, I'm glad I don't know, particularly with people and race being such a hot-button issue. Wouldn't it be terrible if I was able to tell you, ah, Jesus was actually a balding, middle-aged white guy who spoke with a half-baked New Zealand accent that had been worn off over the years. Jesus was just like me. Well, that would make me special. I might be tempted to hold that over you. So we don't know what color he was. Back to, except being a Middle Easterner, Mm -hmm. we're assuming that he had a Mediterranean complexion. Yes. We're assuming that. I think that's a fair assumption. That's a fair assumption. Why then do artists do, did, I would say did, more than do? Why do you think artists depicted Jesus as white? Probably it was cultural. They were raised in that culture and they did that. Some of them may have been a racist. Who knows? Yeah. We don't know. I doubt that. I reckon it's because they were white. They just painted a they Jesus that looked white. like them. Yeah, that's how it went. Yeah. I mean, often Jesus looks Scandinavian, you know, mm-hmm. some white guy with flaxen hair, blondish, something around the hair. People would typically portray Jesus to reflect their own culture and lifestyle. Look, don't go, don't go accusing people of of, of terrible motives. They were influenced by the culture of their day. Um, they're influenced by, by their own upbringing, their own worldview. Today, let's say we live in a slightly more enlightened age where populations aren't nearly as homogenous as they used to be. And so people are more aware of diversity and, and maybe a little more reality. The pictures that I know we have used at it is written of Jesus, one of them in particular the model for that was a Hispanic guy. That's the model. So we didn't, this has been years and years and years we haven't painted a white Jesus being Hispanic. That's probably because we couldn't find a Middle Eastern guy. You know, I don't know. Sure. Had that skin tone and that's what we modeled him on. Culture, man, and uh, surroundings and worldview. There are a lot of cultures that have portrayed Jesus from their culture. Yeah. There have been black Jesuses painted. Many. There have been Asian Jesuses painted. And so... It's a cultural thing. It doesn't make it, you know, you know, it is what it is. And the reality is Jesus was Middle Eastern. Amen. Julia asks, how can God let some people be saved and some people be lost? Julia, that's because God is good. He lets some people be lost because he's good. He lets some people be lost because he is love. He lets some people be lost because they choose to be lost. If our gospel be hidden, it be hidden from them that's lost. Paul wrote, hidden because they don't want to find it. They're ignoring the Bible. Jesus has spoken to every heart. Not everybody's had the same level of of, of opportunity, but the reason that Jesus lets people be saved is because he's not of a disposition to say, I'm forcing, sorry, the reason Jesus lets people be lost is because he's not of a disposition to say, I'm going to force you, force you to be saved. And Mm -hmm. somebody's going, I don't want to go to heaven. Sorry, buddy, you have to go. Let's go. But I protest. (laughs) Too bad. Dragging you there, kicking and screaming. Yeah, God doesn't do that. No, he doesn't. Carlos asks, can a saved person be lost? Sure. 
Well, careful. For some reason, there are some people for whom a wrong answer to this question by their standards yes. means that you are the devil. That's right. Now, for some people to suggest that a saved person could choose to be lost is utter blasphemy. They'll say, well, they were never saved in the first place. Well, they thought they were saved. When you say the person who changes their mind was never saved in the first place, what you're saying is that you can have no security as a believer. Because if I think I'm saved and I'm not, how does that work? Yeah. You can only know you're saved when you get to the other side and realize, oh, phew, I wasn't mistaken. Yeah. And how do you ever really know? You don't ever know which way you are at any time. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Then there's no real evidence for it. All through the Bible we read verses that talk about that the dog has gone back to his vomit. Verses such yes. as that where people had faith in God and then made the decision to turn away from God. King Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. King Saul will not be in the kingdom throughout eternity. That's right. And Paul said many statements like, if you continue in the faith or do not turn away from the faith yes. or others made a shipwreck of their faith. And if you want to have a crown, you must endure to the end. These types of things. And so, you know, it, it's not, if a person is saved, they're saved. Yeah. I think the better question might be, can a saved person become lost? Not are they lost? Obviously, if they're saved, they're saved. So a person can change their mind just like they chose to be saved. They can choose to reject God at any time they want to. Everybody knows people Bible's who clear done that. about that. Everyone sure, knows people. absolutely. Now, this whole thing, wow, they were never saved in the first place. Sure they were. Sure they were. Yeah. People have given their lives to Jesus and lived exemplary Christian lives, but they just they got caught up in the world. They took their eyes off Jesus like Peter on the water took her eyes off Jesus and sank. Paul wrote, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Yes, it happens. Don't let it happen to you. It doesn't have to happen. Uh, no one can snatch you out of his hand. No, Yes, but you can yeah. take your own hand out yes. of the hand of Jesus and decide. Imagine if God said, sorry, once you made a decision for heaven, I cannot let you change your mind. Yeah. Meanwhile, That'd be tough. back here in the real world. That's right. Question for you from Michael. In the Apostles' Creed, it says that Jesus descended into hell. How could that be possible? Well, very simply, the Apostles' Creed is the Apostles' Creed, and it's not the Bible. Yeah. It's a collection of words put together by men. Now, Jesus did uh, descend into the grave. He, he went, went into the grave, the grave and Amen. he slept, and then he rose again. Uh, but going into the hell that we view as the burning place of burning... Jesus did not do that, and that is added by the church, uh, That um, and it's not biblical. It's just No, not. it isn't. No, it isn't. Yeah. So uh, the idea being that Jesus, when he died, went to hell. The fact that there's no hell burning right now, and that there wasn't when Jesus was on the earth, makes the idea of Jesus going to that place really rather hard to attain. There isn't a hell burning. Bible is clear about that. Hell takes place on the earth after the millennium, so a thousand years after the second coming of Jesus. We are at least a thousand years away from hell burning. So Jesus didn't ascend to hell. 
regardless of what the Apostles' Creed or anybody else's creed states. That's right. You look at Matthew chapter 13. That's the passage. Matthew chapter 13, verse 40. Jesus is explaining a parable to his disciples. He says, Therefore, as the tares are gathered together and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. Yes. That's very clear. Very clear. Nothing could be clearer. Jimmy asks, Is Satan omnipresent? No, he's not. Thank goodness for that. Wait a minute. Look around the world. It kind of looks yeah. like he is. Everywhere yeah. you turn, there's devils and devilment. Well, he's got a network of evil angels, the angels that followed him in the rebellion, and they are all connected to each other. He knows everything that's happening in the world, but he himself can't be everywhere. Yeah, he hardly needs to be everywhere because he's got lots of agents that's that right. are everywhere. That's right. And by now, with so many people who identify as followers of Satan, or they identify as, yes. I'm not a Christian, yes. I'm not a follower of Jesus, well, there's just a lot of sin and a lot of wickedness in the that's world. That's right. That's right. Hey, what do you do about the wickedness in the world? Sin, it attacks mm. us. It's against us. Satan has, has you and you in his crosshairs. So what do you do about that? We've well, got a few seconds. You hide yourself in Christ. You get closer to him than ever before. You say, I'm, I'm, I'm choosing to reject that. You don't just go with the flow. You take yeah. a stand and say, no, I'm going to follow God. God's going to be the center of my life. That's the only chance we have to resist it. You know, the Bible says, and you use that word, resist the devil and he will mm-hmm. flee from you. Yes. I, I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea, but resistance actually takes some intent effort. and effort. It just does. To resist temptation actually takes some effort. Now, you may say, well, it takes surrender. Yes, sure. It takes prayer, uh, undoubtedly. It takes reading the Bible. Hey, you're speaking my language. But sometimes it takes... When Mrs. Potiphar was coming out of Joseph and she did so repeatedly, yes. it took some effort for Joseph yeah. to resist her. Some fortitude. Yeah, some yeah. fortitude. Uh, all your buddies, you know, you've got these, all these buddies from your old life and you go to a high school reunion and they're all getting drunk and they're pushing the beer in front of you. You haven't had a beer in six weeks now. You're a new Christian. Mm-hmm. It takes some effort. That's right. But we don't do it in our own effort. It's in the strength of Jesus. Lord, save me. Spirit, fill my life and guide me. And then you can know with absolute confidence that God's strength will uh, be strong enough for you to resist evil. We're going to be back with more in just a moment with West Peppers. I'm John Bradshaw. This is Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. Just a few hundred years ago, the Bible was not available to everyday people. Today, it's everywhere. What happened to bring the Word of God to the world? Join me for Ancient Wisdom present power as archaeologist and theologian Dr. Michael Hazel takes us back in time to the events that led to the Bible being propelled to the forefront of Western society and then the world. We'll look together at a remarkable collection of rare books that tell the story of the advance of the gospel, of the battle between truth and tradition, of the life and death struggle between darkness and light, featuring artifacts of historical importance and insights that will grow and encourage your faith in God. Ancient Wisdom, Present Power, telling the story of some of the greatest events in human history and the development of the greatest story ever told. Don't miss Ancient Wisdom, Present Power, brought to you by It Is Written TV. Every Word is a one-minute Bible-based daily devotional presented by Pastor John Bradshaw and designed especially for busy people like you. Look for Every Word on selected networks or watch it online every day on our website, itiswritten.com. 
You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about studying the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious as well. Well, here's what you do if you want to dig deeper into God's Word. Go to itiswritten.study for the It Is Written Bible Study Guides online. 25 in-depth Bible studies that will take you through the major teachings of the Bible. You'll be blessed, and it's something you'll want to tell others about as well. itiswritten.study. Go further. itiswritten.study. Welcome back to Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. We welcome your questions. You can email them to us at lineuponline at iiw.org. Okay, Wes, a question for us. Al says, I try, to, I try so hard to be with God and obey His commandments, but I find myself committing the same sins over and over again. What can I do about it? Well, I would say you go back to the same God over and over again. And uh, the answer is to keep drawing closer to Him. It's to not give up. It's to not walk away. If you give up and walk away, then certainly you're not going to gain the victory over them. But press closer to the heart of God. Study His Word. Don't get frustrated with yourself. Don't give up on yourself. Recognize that God is doing a work in you. Think about your journey. Have you gotten victory over certain things? Well, trust and believe that God's going to give you victory over those things as well as you continue with Him. In Philippians 1, 6, it says, He who has begun a good work in you is faithful to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's God who does the work in you. You'll notice, Al, what West did not say. He did not say, well, try harder. Is that to, We don't try harder our way to salvation and victory. We surrender. What you might want to do is have some real good heart-to-hearts with God and tell Him how sick and tired you are of stumbling and falling. And that will reinforce that in you. Uh, claim the promises, trust in God. Uh, I'm encouraged that you're asking the question. Don't turn away. Our next question is from Catherine. Although I had a Christian upbringing, I have, I have lost some faith in God. What do I do to regain my faith and have a strong faith? Catherine, let me start by saying this. You're asking about faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Yours shouldn't be a blind faith. It should be built on something. As you have spent time in communion with God, as you have appreciated the character of Jesus, as you've read prophecies and learned that prophecies have fulfilled just like God said they would, you can have strong faith. You can simply believe. Now, what is strong faith? You haven't determined or or defined what that is, and I wouldn't want to hazard a guess. But you can believe God is. Mm -hmm. Jesus is coming back, right? His word is true. Yes, I believe that God is real. Uh Uh-huh. I claim Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Amen. Calvary happened. The Bible promises are true. God is not a man that he should lie. You can have faith in God in any situation. It seems to me that some people have this artificial construct of once I get to this this level in my experience, then I've got strong faith. Just take the faith you've got. Truth be told, you don't need strong faith. You just need a little faith in a strong God. A little faith in a great God. That'll really get you places. Anything to add? Yeah, I remember I sat on a plane with a lady uh, for a flight all the way over to Europe, and she started talking to me about how her and her husband had once been very strong with God, strong in the church, strong in the Bible, and then they had a relative that had a very tragic death and how that caused her, especially her husband, to almost lose all faith in mm. God. And she's told me this very phrase, he's hanging by a thread. And I thought to myself, and I began to you know, 
wrestle with this, that a lot of people lose their faith in God because of tragic circumstances, yes, yes, sure. because of difficulties they face in their life. Maybe it's a death or a divorce or whatever it is. And they say, how could God allow this to happen? And so I began to share with her my story of how I went through cancer a number of years ago and how God carried me through that. And it wasn't all a bed of roses. There was a lot of difficult things to deal with. And so at the end of that testimony, she said, man, I see how God worked in your life and how you handled that. And it inspired her. And she said, I want to go home and share with my husband. I also shared with her this great battle that we're in between good and evil and how there's constantly things that are going on in the world and understanding why those things happen can sometimes help us deal with the trauma that can come to us. So we don't have to lose faith because of circumstances. We have faith in God because we know that He's real, that He's true, that He's near us, even in the dark times, and especially in the hard times. Unfortunately, what it means is that people get disappointed with God. Yes. Why did you let that happen? I'm so disappointed with you, God. And they say, I don't know why this would happen. They ask the why question, which is a pointless question. You've got to be able to trust that God is good even when things are bad, right? Otherwise, every Jew should have given up on faith in God, right? Everyone who had a family member who died during the Spanish flu or COVID should have given up on faith in God. Every farmer who's had his crops ruined or her crops ruined by rain give up on faith in God. You need to be able to believe, even when things are challenging, that God is good. How do you do that? Well, you don't listen to the voice inside you that says, I lost my brother and I'm so devastated and God was so mean. You don't listen to that voice because that voice, that will speak as loud as you want. You listen to this voice. You listen to the Bible, which will show you that, as the Bible says twice in one chapter, God is love. Question for you. Is Harry Potter satanic? That's a pretty strong word to use, yeah. satanic. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I think we ought to be careful about some yeah. of those things. Yeah, so let but... me be really careful as I answer this question. Look deep into my eyes. Is Harry Potter satanic? Now, what I'm about to say might confuse you, so try your hardest to understand me. Is Harry Potter, Potter satanic? Yes. Now, in case... Now, someone may not have understood that, so I'll say it again. The question is... Is Harry Potter satanic? The question is really, really yes. Now, I'm not saying that your little Aiden is a devil because he read a Harry Potter book or your little Madison is a devil because she went to a Harry Potter movie. I don't mean that. But we're dealing with a wizard whose power comes from where exactly? Not from God. Must be the devil. They cast spells. It's witchcraft, man. What part of that do you not understand? Witches and warlocks and living forever, not by the power. Of course it's satanic. I could stretch that and say a bunch of rap music is satanic. If it all is, maybe it all is, rock music. Uh, Most of the movies Hollywood produces, they're, they're not there to glorify God. The thing is, we've become numb to it because we're surrounded by it. We see Harry Potter everywhere. And you, yeah, where was I? I was in... London is someplace, a great big Harry Potter house that's in the, in the city. It's everywhere. We tend to go, oh, it's just fun. My little Olivia, she's just having fun. No, 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 this is not a knock on your little Olivia. Might be a knock on you for, for, for spoon-feeding this garbage to your little Olivia, but certainly a knock on the world in which we live. Yes, it's satanic. Now, are you going to ameliorate 
what I said in some no, ways, soften no, no. it down a little bit? No, no, I'm going to be right with you. You are? Uh, I do a seminar on spiritualism, yeah. and I've done a lot of research on Harry Potter, and, and it's very fascinating that there's a lot of children who are adults now who are involved in witchcraft and Absolutely. Wicca and occult and the occult who say, I gained my first experience with Harry Potter. And Harry Potter wanted made me want to become more of that, wanted me, made me want to become a witch. Surprise, surprise. Yes. Harry ultimately dies in the series and is resurrected. No way. Yes. I didn't know that. And it's said by his friend that he was raised back to life because of his good virtues no. and because of his good life and, no. and, and because he was honorable. Now, what's interesting is that, you know, he, 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 because he gave his life for his friends, but at the same time, he displays all these, you know, unruly behaviors. And so what it basically says is, I can do whatever I want. I can break the rules. I can, I can disobey. I can be nasty and still be considered good. Interesting, isn't That's it? That's very dangerous. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. Yeah. And so one last thing I'll say about it is... The author of the of the books yeah. says that she gets letters from children who really believe that the school of wizardry that Harry went to exists. And children are confused about what's real and what's fiction, and they truly believe it's real, and they are writing letters begging them to let them into that school. And they're serious. And so there's a number of alarming things about this and any other thing associated with witchcraft or sorcery God says he has very strong warnings in the Bible. Leave it alone. It's not for you. Absolutely. And of course, Harry Potter, the little wizard, is a cute little English yes. boy with round spectacles yes. and, a, and a charming accent. The devil is a master at making that which God has forbidden seem innocent, cute, or fun. He's a master of it. You know what I'd do if I were you? If you were thinking of buying your kids a Harry Potter book or taking them to a Harry Potter movie? Don't. Uh, if you have Harry Potter books... Do you also have matches? If you do, you know what to do. Listen, man, it's, 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 it's satanical, right? It's, it's, it's spiritualism. Now, satanic's a strong word. It's a strong word. But some things are what they are. That's right. And uh, when you're dealing with witchcraft and spells and incantations and uh, immortal people or whatever the case might be, this is what we're dealing with here. That's right. Okay, well, you know, another light question, just, just maybe the last question is from Sarah. I noticed these days that more and more people are referring to God as female. Is God a woman? No, he's not. No. What? Notice I said, notice <laughs> no, I said, he's no, not. he's not. How can he be a woman? <laughs> Yet, uh, it's fair, well, it's, I think it's necessary to say that our Father God contains and manifests those emotional characteristics and nurturing and loving characteristics that we would associate with females more than males. Well, he made man in his image, male and and female. female. So the qualities that the female has would still be reflective of the character of God. What is to be gained by calling God she when the Bible calls him he? There's nothing to gain. Never once does it say mother or she or any of that. It's it's always he. Yeah, I, I hope if you have trouble with that, that you can get over. I think we're good. I think that's time. That's good. It's another program. I really appreciate it. Great to be here, always. Great that you were with us. We really appreciate it. And remember, if you have a question for us, we'd welcome receiving it at lineuponline at iiw.org. 
with West Peppers. I am John Bradshaw. This has been Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. <laughs>